Welcome to You Hate Movies, the podcast in which moviegoers, film lovers, and cinephiles argue about movies. In today's episode, we accuse movie critics and audiences alike of hating movies for not understanding the greatness that is Zack Snyder's adaptation of Watchmen. There will be major spoilers for both the Watchmen graphic novel and film adaptation, as well as minor or abstract spoilers for 300, 300 Rise of an Empire, That Simpson episode, Husband and Knives, Fight Club, Sucker Punch, Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Cahool, Saw, Frozen, Birdman, Captain America, The First Avenger, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Grey's Anatomy Season 2, 3, and 5. Alright, here we are. (laughs) There's never a cold start that works for a podcast. Mm -hmm. Hi, everybody. (laughs) You trying to do a second start? We can edit it, right? Yeah, oh, but gosh. I'm not going to. It's kind of funny now. <laughs> Here's the premise for this evening. We thought to ourselves, uh, you know, this whole idea began with people arguing about movies, and then <laughs> is that what we do here? Yeah, and then the one person's trying to fit the other person with the, you know, the sentence. You're the one who hates movies because you don't agree with me. Well, we find ourselves often disagreeing with critics. In some cases, like what's wrong with the world that so many critics or audiences at large don't see eye to eye with us. In this case, we're talking about Zack Snyder's adaptation of Alan Moore's graphic novel Watchmen, which uh, most of us, at least the guys who run this podcast, really loved quite a bit upon first viewing and still to this day. Very much so. So we got together a cast of characters. I'm uh, Josh, and then Tyler's here. Hello. As he usually is. Also, yeah. his wife, Sarah. Hey. <laughs> Sarah's here. <laughs> Sarah just read... Uh, the graphic novel. <laughs> yeah. She Watch spent it. the last six weeks yeah, reading the graphic novel. It took quite a while. It took a while, yeah. Six. That's good. It took quite a while. There but were she got through it. That's good. She got through it. And then she just moments ago finished watching the director's cut of the film. My wife, Abby, is here. Hello. Um, she's seen the movie several times because when it first came to home media, I watched it quite a bit over and over again. Uh, and she has some strong opinions that are probably not based on much. <laughs> <laughs> we have Alex Retman. Hey. He's a first-timer, great friend of ours who lives down the road and had never seen Watchmen before tonight. And and correct me if I'm wrong, you haven't read the graphic novel either. Nope. So you just went into it as a movie viewer, which is yes. great for our purposes tonight. N- and then Knowing nothing about the film. He hadn't even seen the trailer. He went in completely cold. Perfect. I'd seen one scene. You had seen one scene, which we'll talk about in, yeah. in just a second. And then Patrick is back. Hi. Who feels... Very positively about both the, <laughs> the novel and the film. I do. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> well, I feel like we've said everything there is to say. <laughs> that was good. Um, so let's start like this. Uh, if For those of us, just really quickly, that did go and see it in theater. You saw it in theaters, right, Tyler? Yeah. So you go to see Watchmen, and you had read it before? No. I saw the movie first. Okay, great. Yeah. That's even better. So you're going to see it. You haven't read this thing. How much perspective do you have on what it's even about or anything like that? Uh, well, at that time, I had seen the trailer a number of times waiting for the movie to come out, and I thought it looked like an awesome movie. The trailer was great. Remember that <laughs> trailer? Was a yeah. great trailer. Archie coming out of the water and Muse is playing? Yeah. It's like, oh, this yeah. movie looks awesome. Let's go see it. That's that's my That was my um, con- context for the film. It's just the trailer. So you go to see it. The credits are rolling, and people are standing up, and you're thinking to yourself, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed the film. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Yeah. 
And then afterward, retrospectively, you went and read the... I read the graphic novel, and then I had a much better appreciation for the movie, uh, having known all the intricacies and subtleties of the, the film. Right. Couldn't communicate or did so very briefly. Yeah. But you did your, your affection for the movie, at least upon first viewing, was not contingent on a reading of the book. No, you had, you it wasn't. Read it. I just thought in it, in, it in itself was a well-made movie. Great. Okay. Now, you and I, Patrick, we went and saw a, a, like a midnight screening or something. Yeah, like, it was one like, of the last uh, opening night midnight screenings I've ever been to. Yeah, because, well, you'll hear, and if you listen to the episode before this when we talk about why we don't go to midnight screenings anymore, but it was a great experience. We had read the book. We loved yeah. the movie. We had a friend with us, Mike, who's been on episodes before, and he had never seen a trailer, never heard of the, like... I had to give him my wife's ticket. Because he decided he wanted to go at the last minute, and she decided she didn't want to go at the last right. minute, so it worked out well. For we them. drug him to the theater. He was not into it at all, and the three of us all left the theater being like, "Wow, what a fantastic!" Movie. Oh yeah, it was great. We talked about it for weeks and weeks, and then pre-ordered it. Had a party when it came out. Alex Retman. That brings us to the people that have only saw it for the first time tonight. Can you describe to us your feelings as the credits credits rolled? uh i thought it was just a a good story overall i thought it was like pretty well developed and i didn't really have much going into it so you know some movies you kind of have the general idea of this is going to be the narrative arc good versus evil that really wasn't the case in this one so i feel like it you know at the very end of the movie you have a, a lot of different thoughts but kind of the main thought that I was having was you know this is just what happens humanity kind of tends to destroy itself then works to rebuild itself while there's this kind of nebulous figure godlike figure out there who maybe has intervened in different times and helped speed the process along but it's just kind of that repeating cycle so. yeah you know I was thinking to myself as because because uh Redman here was sitting behind me in the movie room was crowded it's a small movie room and i know that you you know you're into like reading uh about philosophers and you know checking out that whole thing this movie's pretty jam-packed with yeah, philosophy really so yeah. and uh i could hear him audibly tracking with it mm. oh <laughs> was he omandis <laughs> oh yeah yeah every yeah, now and then like ooh, mm. some names in there ozymandias mm-hmm. that was a good one yeah there were some names yeah you can tell that they really meant to actually draw your mind to history and draw your mind to different characters in the past sure. and just show the repeating nature of you know humanity so you were you had it would you say you appreciated the density there and the themes oh, yeah. and that so yeah okay, okay. yeah would you say it's probably one of the greatest things <laughs> 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 no but so uh, positive yeah positive experience yeah definitely positive i think that you know another thought and maybe we can talk about this but is how much do you need to know about evil to get kind of how good overcoming evil is yeah do you need to see all of it yeah it's a pretty graphic movie there's lots of scenes in there that i probably there's probably about 10 percent of the movie that i just couldn't really watch close my eyes it's, it's quite gratuitous yeah and sometimes. so you know at some level you have to under, you have to wonder like does that enrich the movie? Does it make it better? Does it detract from it? Do you need that in order to understand like the resolve? Sure. So those are all great questions, which yeah. we can, I think, wrestle with. Maybe but get through. And so I'm sure you have some negative observations that we'll draw out as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, everyone does. 
but overall but overall yeah i thought it was a are we we do we have a scale like a, a <laughs> How well, many, we have a five star rating yeah. a five star rating yeah i would give, I give it, it five stars i'd give it 4.5 Four point five. Wow! Really I, really, I really liked it. I That's thought it was a glowing great. review. Yeah. Glowing review. Four and a half. All right. Now, Abby, do you remember what your uh, experience was watching it? Did you piece it together in the background over time, or did you ever have like a solid sit down? I can't. I can't recall. No, I think I watched it. I thought I saw it in theaters, but maybe I didn't. No, you absolutely did not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do not think about anything deep. So I basically <laughs> thought it was <laughs> really long and slow <laughs> with a tiny bit of payoff in the end. Okay. There's a tiny bit of payoff. Mm-hmm. So movie, movies aren't Abby's favorite, though. No, they're not. In fact, we could, we could absolutely say you hate movies. I do hate <laughs> movies. <laughs> with a few rare exceptions. Yep. You, you love Miss Congeniality. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Well, oh, you really uh-oh. do love Miss Congeniality. It's a great I like, movie. I like Miss Congeniality. Okay. I Wings love Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. And uh, uh, yeah. Runaway Bride, Rouge. that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, it's true. It's I true. like those movies too, though, to be honest. No, they're fine. <laughs> yeah, they, we could do a whole episode. Redmond's got a sensitive side. <laughs> All right, now that Absolutely. brings us to the whole reason that we had the party in the first place, which was Sarah Hans here, having read the book for the first time, and you were excited. Yes. You want it, you know, there's there's few things that are more satisfying than getting to see, whether it's good or bad, it's just an exciting thing to read a book and then to see it translated mm-hmm. on the screen. So, having said that, what do you think? I loved it. The I thought it was really good. The movie, yeah. The movie, great. Yes. We're all in agreement that the graphic novel is brilliant. It's one of time, is it Time's 100 yeah. best mm-hmm. novels of all yeah. time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the world all believes that the graphic novel is fantastic. What we're arguing here is that the movie is just as right. Just so, as good, Sarah, right? since you are the first or the latest one to see it from reading the book, did you think it was too much like the book or not enough like the book? Or what did you think about that? Um, I thought it was a lot like the book, and I liked that. It Great. Mm-hmm. kind of disappoints me when movies aren't. Why do they do true. that? Yeah, because it was a brilliant book. So Yeah, it was f- extremely faithful. In fact, I guess we can go ahead and get into this. One of the biggest critiques of the movies amongst the world, which is like a you can't win for losing thing, was that it was too faithful to the graphic novel and the graphic novel doesn't translate that well. Well, this is this, um, right. you know, voicing the opinion right. of the critics here. Sure. And uh, there, there was a lot of movie makers in the world that were intimidated by the graphic novel and didn't want to make it because they didn't think it could be done well. Yeah, it lapsed in and out of yeah. production for years. And, and years. Zack Snyder was the yeah. one brave enough to actually there take it There were some on. horrible ideas of, of changing the timepieces and making it more current and things like that taking it out of the 80s yeah Ooh, that would have been no good yeah oh yeah there was a so many dumb ideas now if yeah you read mm. about. there's a cool story that Zack snyder tells that he would just carry that novel around with all his notes in it like never thinking he would actually do anything with it he yeah. just loved the story <laughs> and they kept asking him he said if you don't do it we're gonna mess it up and make it a time a different time period and he's like all right i'll do it just so it won't be bad hmm. if there if there was a director to do it i think Zack snyder was a really good choice. Oh yeah, he because makes, he, he just makes the most sense. Yeah, he's he's his creative mind kind of works that way already because of just coming out of Three Hundred, which is a movie based on a graphic novel. A lot of those scenes are taken directly from the book, and mm. so he right. he really has a high respect for the the pages of those graphic novels and and the storyline staying true to its original form. 
So it's great that he managed to get on board with Watchmen and do it just as well. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing when they had signed up because I, Zack Snyder had done the Dawn of the Dead remake and then 300. People liked the Dawn of the Dead remake, but the 300 thing really kind of catapulted him into public consciousness because mm-hmm. people were so ate up with a, you know, God, 300's the coolest thing ever. And, you know, it, it was, was great. It really was pretty cool. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> but that one that, sucked. Yeah, well, the first one was good. Was no, there's no debate there. Uh, so it was satisfying or at least relieving to hear, oh, that guy is doing the... Um, so this is something that's interesting to me because a lot of the people, and, and I, Abby is the maybe <laughs> represents the majority here. The uh, for example, the consensus on Rotten Tomatoes, which it's just barely fresh. It's five percent short or high enough to not be rotten, or four percent high really? enough not to be rotten. And the consensus is which uh, makes it what fifty four sixty five. So if you get down, yeah, into the sixty nine, you're failing. Or sorry. <laughs> make a lot of jokes just watched Watchmen <laughs> I'll cut that out oh if you get down into the 59 you're failing so the consensus is and I quote gritty and visually striking Watchmen is a faithful adaptation of Alan Moore's graphic novel but its complex narrative structure may make it difficult for it to appeal to viewers not already familiar with the source material hmm. how do you feel about that Alex I mean it's um it's one of those movies that unfolds as you watch it. So you don't actually understand. That's what I was trying to get at is that there's not a general, st- it doesn't follow the normal narrative arc of a movie. And that's actually how it kept my attention for the whole time is, you know, it is really long, but I never once thought, man, when is this movie going to be done? It kept on building on itself and you kept on getting almost these little puzzle pieces and putting it together and seeing this kind of bigger thing. So I don't know, maybe the general population wouldn't find it as appealing but i think if you're at all interested in stories or even you know uh superhero movies i don't know why it wouldn't be a fun experience the general population just doesn't like paying attention apparently well you sure i mean it's very unconventional if especially yeah. for a big genre studio movie yeah it's but c- you didn't feel as though not only you enjoyed it but did you feel as though like th- it was convoluted or confusing at all i think there were some confusing points in the in the beginning i'm i guess i mean to be honest there's this is spoiler ridden right this oh yeah yeah. okay okay so um what was what is confusing to me is the chronology of who were the original uh they were called the minutemen the the minutemen and who were the watchmen and was there crossover between the two there was you know and the the daughter of the of the one i think her name's silk Mm -hmm. silk specter silk specter her daughter happened to be in some of the the time period with Eddie, um, yeah, one with of the, the other comedian, the comedian. Yeah. And so I, I guess I just didn't understand the chronology of yeah. who was a part of what team and if, was there any crossover? So, right. So the uh, opening credits show you the history of the Minutemen. Yes. Who in the next generation become the Watchmen who were following through the film. Okay. And if you pay close, close attention, uh, particularly around those those scenes where they're gathered for their porch to be taken mm-hmm. and they have their meetings. If you pay attention, you can you can catch all of those subtleties that are in the opening credits from one generation okay. to the next. Yeah, but the s- subtleties is a, is the key word. There. They are very subtle. Yeah, because you know I was thinking about it this time as we were watching it. The one of the reasons that Alan Moore, who authored the graphic novel, and is notoriously just insane. And he, he despises he's films. He's more so guy. more so lately. He's, he seems to have gone even crazier. Yeah, he's really nutty. He refuses to have his name attached to any of the movie adaptations, which he does not give permission to be made, and he hates them, though he says he doesn't watch them. So yeah. he, also, he, he can write a great comic book. <laughs> we he should work, have him yeah. <laughs> Call him up. <laughs> yeah. 
The only thing that he's ever collaborated in was that he lent his voice to The Simpsons for a single And that episode. was a funny episode. He won't go to conventions. He won't sign autographs. He was a big buff guy flying in the air. Yeah, that was pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Anyway, uh, one of the reasons that Alan Moore doesn't like movie adaptations is because he says that he likes the nature of graphic novels. You can kind of flip around back and forth and revisit, wait, what was that? And then uncover mm, more and more yeah. little subtleties. Yeah. But it occurred to me, the irony of that was that this must have been like, I don't know, the seventh time I've watched the movie. And I was this time around being like, oh man, I never noticed that. Yeah. And I never noticed that. And I never noticed that. Um, Sex. So, he does really well putting those pieces in there so yeah. you, can, you can get the whole picture yeah the the one that really stuck out to me is there's a scene in the beginning rorschach goes to the comedian's home after he's been murdered and there's this like uh really wide shot um from across the room where rorschach's really small in the distance it's really dark and in the corner of the frame is a photo that eddie blake has um and the light uh in the room drifts across the photo and you can see sally jupiter who we, we learn later is his daughter uh, in the and at the time you'd be like, well, why in the world would he have a photo of right her? Mm. Um, but this time around, I have my eye happened to be drawn to that, and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. that's incredible. There's a photo of Silk Spectre, the mother and the daughter. Right. Yeah. Both yeah. Of so there's a lot of little things like that, or just little visual things that uh, Zack Snyder has oh. done. The the scene, or you know, in that opening sequence, the opening credits, which is just so great. It's one of the yeah. best. Yeah, yeah. Of the such great. It's really really cool. Yeah. Uh, when they're standing outside of Area 51, uh, Ozzy Mandias, and he goes and he shakes hands with David Bowie. <laughs> David Bowie is standing there as Ziggy Stardust, which <laughs> yeah, I've never noticed yeah. uh, before. So, here, here, there's something. There's another little thing that I just was wondering about. So, you know, in the in the first scene, you have the comedian. He's watching TV. Switches from a news show to this like kind of. Uh, scene with a, a man walking out of a pool and there's a woman on like a um a, a sunbed kind of thing did was that at all related to pyramid in any yeah. way okay yeah. so what because that comes back in ozymandias he's watching that you know in antarctica and yeah there's ads for that all over the film yeah. promoting uh is it a cologne called yeah. nostalgia yeah yeah mm-hmm. It's all over the film. Billboards everywhere. Fight has a kind of merchandising conglomerate that goes beyond just merchandising for the Watchmen toys, which is how he's funded his nuclear researcher, I guess. I think Mm. it's just showing us like how wealthy he was, like how prominent his products Mm. were. A lot of it was connecting the dots that he was in it the whole time. Right. Because if you're paying attention to each shot, if you look away from just the focal point of the frame or the main characters that are speaking, there are, there are clues hidden all over the frame. There's billboards Mm. that roar Shack is graffitied on, or there's advertisements for Pyramid Industries or Vogue. Oh, interesting. What is it? Vite? Vite. Vite yeah. Industries. Yeah, which is, I mean, and that to me just proves the point because you piece that together, even visually, that like, oh, there's an echo of this here and here, that you're even subconsciously being drawn to make these connections throughout the film, even if they're not super overt. Yeah. Just but like you would on the pages of a graphic novel. Exactly. Yeah. So funnily enough, he managed to achieve this thing that Alan Moore thought was the very reason he didn't want his movie to be adapted. And it would make so much more sense that audiences would be less inclined to be all over it upon first viewing. Because I think he's made a movie that I think time will tell later on. It'll be something like Fight Club. You know, Fight Club came out and everyone hated it. That later on people will be like... It's a thing to watch right. Watchmen and to quote it. And yeah. Because like, Fight Club it. in the same way, you it takes a lot to process what you've just seen. 
So you watch it again and you think, oh, that was that was interesting. You watch it a third time, you start finally figuring out what's going on. It's the same thing, I think, with Watchmen. Yeah. Right. And to defend Ratman, I could see how the movie starts and like Tyler was saying, you have to pay attention right yeah. when it starts. Yeah. Or you might miss something that would like clue you in as it goes. Yeah, I was I was just kind of caught up in the history of it all, just seeing history in a new lens. You know, they're reenacting all these scenes, the you know, killing of Kennedy and all these very you know moon landing and and dr manhattan's there and there's you know, all these like little th- little scenes so i think that yeah probably two or three times you'd have to watch it to catch even like yeah. half of the subtleties yeah and they 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 really expect the best of the audience in the sense that there's like it occurred to me this time there's that monologue when or the voiceover where rorschach's breaking into the government compound and he's like kind of indexing what's happened to every one of the Minutemen and right. why he doesn't need to go do like uh you know, catch up on where they're at. Right, because so-and-so got his cape caught in the wrong yeah. door. And one by one, those are all things that we saw the in the opening credits. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The guy with his cape caught in the revolving door, Mothman went insane. Biting the uh, that doctor. Yeah, yeah. silhouette <laughs> was uh, a victim of a hate crime because she was gay. And then Rorschach calls it, he says he's, she was a victim of her own indecent lifestyle. Right. Which is like, you know, a lot of people go away from the movie and think, oh, like, Rorschach was cool or whatever. Rorschach is like a right-wing fundamentalist. uh, And he read this, you know, like Republican paper or whatever it was. Uh, And he was the one graffitiing uh, on those billboards. uh, Something about we are right. And then he would fill it in. Yeah, you know in your heart it's right. Yeah, right-wing. Yeah, and he was known for being uncompromising. Right. Yeah. And he was he suspected that Veidt might have been a homosexual. Right, which (laughs) plays again into the opening credits when he's shaking hands with... um, David Bowie. David Bowie. Right. Yeah. 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 So there's all yeah, these little subtleties that, yeah, it's upon this extra viewing. So it, I remember coming, being in the theater, the credits start rolling, and I felt very satisfied that the movie had been adapted the way it, it was, and just, you know, and you enjoy it as a movie detached from the book or attached to the book. And there was just an audible disdain from <laughs> the audience. Like, there were like uh, groans and moans yeah, and stuff. Yeah, what the heck? And then when we were out in the hallway, I was thinking like, Maybe it was because we read it or something, you know, that was, but mm. then our friend Mike was like, God, that was incredible. And did you think about this and think about yeah. this? It's like, maybe that's not it. And then I heard these nerds out in the uh, hallway going like, Alan, <laughs> one of them said, Alan Moore's turning over in his grave. And I thought that's weird because he's not he's dead. Not dead. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, he might sleep in there or something like that. Yeah, he might weird. sleep yeah. in that grave. Yeah. yeah, we don't know. Uh, but then I was like, oh, nerds don't like it either. And then there was all this outrage about, like, it was a slave to the source material. And I was like, what the heck? What in the world? You would be so mad if it, and when it did stray from the source material, spoiler alert, in the graphic novel, uh, it's not Dr. Manhattan being framed. It's a bioengineered squid. Yeah. That comes to that is teleported <laughs> to the city, and then mm. and it's as cool as it sounds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so it's it's made to seem like an alien yeah. attack. <laughs> uh, and so no, they still don't they still think it's Dr. Manhattan was behind it in some way. I don't recall. It's been. Is, is that the case? Well, Sarah, we Sarah? know who to ask. I don't remember that. Doctor Manhattan isn't implied in the attack. I don't think so. So we we, we really admire Zach uh, Zack Snyder's ability to commit to the source material. But there are a few crucial things he changed. One being the ending, and I'm sure Sarah, you noticed all of those subtle changes. Yeah. A couple of them very blatant, and then others more subtle. Yeah. Did Which I was kind of hoping, like, for a couple of the subtleties. Like, for instance, in the graphic novel, in Antarctica, he's got, like, this whole 
like biodome of like a rainforest and it was really like visually stunning in the graphic novel so i was kind of looking forward to that in mm. the movie but yeah the two big changes in my mind are one the ending the, the squid they cut out the squid and they yeah. put in like a nuclear pulse yeah uh and then two was rorschach's um encounter with that criminal the 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 uh, kidnapper the the pedophile that he right. hacks up so yeah in in the scene in the graphic novel he doesn't kill him directly he right. allows he allows him he sets the place on fire and leaves yeah. him the saw yeah it's like saw right. right so instead of just hitting him in the head with that butcher's knife with the meat cleaver he, he yeah. nails the guy's hand to the table sets the house on fire and gives him the meat cleaver which is brilliant because that man just had just cut that little girl up allegedly and so he was turning it on him if you want to escape this fate you need to do the same thing yeah. bring the yeah. knife down on yourself and there's this chilling uh rendering in the panels as rorschach watches the burning house right. satisfied because and the man the, never makes it out yeah he never comes out yeah um so that was a big change did you notice that when you're yes, watching the movie yeah it's kind of shocking <laughs> seeing was, him kill just utterly jarring and yeah then, regardless of the change i was just like oh holy holy crap. yeah and that was, Retman, you said that was the only part of the movie you had seen. <laughs> yeah, my roommate, a couple of years ago, I walked downstairs and he was watching it and I, I hadn't seen the movie before and I was like, hey man, what are you watching? He's like, oh, this is The Watchmen. And it was like right at that scene where the dude is just filleting <laughs> Chopping his head in half. Uh, head. Yeah. yeah. So, and then that, yeah. this, that brings me to an interesting question that I want to circle back to. But before that, Sarah, did you know that, had anyone spoiled the fact that the squid was not in the movie for you, or were you expecting that there might be a squid? I was expecting a squid. (laughs) (laughs) Now, how do you feel that he changed that? Honestly, it wasn't a big loss to me because it was totally out of left field when I was reading the graphic. The squid. I was not expecting that. That's one of those times where Alan Moore makes you (laughs) flip back and go, what happened? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you're expecting like nuclear bomb or something of that nature. But like, I mean, I know there's like hinting with the island and everything in the graphic novel, but like. It was just, I still don't even know how I feel about that the squid. ending. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. utterly baffled. Yeah. yeah. The it's same a confusing way. thing. But, you know, the, the the brilliance of that decision is, one, the squid, I think we can all admit, would be dumb in the movie. Yeah. It was, yes. it was weird to play a graphic novel. What the yeah. heck? And then beyond that, I remember this interesting thing that James Cameron said once about when you're trying to make a movie shorter or narrow down a screenplay. It's way better instead of trying to lift out little tiny tidbits here and there to just take a macro theme out mm-hmm. and readjust for the sake of it. So what Sarah's saying is like all that stuff about the island and the DNA and the, they would have had to incorporate all that to even start to right. make sense yeah. of the squid. And, and so much more so because in the movie, like you can flip back in the book, like we were saying and try and to you pick have it up. To. You can't you do have that to. in the movie. Yeah. It has to be very clear why there's a giant squid. Right. So I think... In the movie's defense, again, why it make why this movie is so good is that they made that change. I think it was a great decision. Yeah, it was to change it from the squid to this nuclear blast caused by Doctor Manhattan. It, it's I thought it was a really smart. It's the change. best logical yeah. adjustment that I can think of. Yeah, I have now, a question. Okay, is here we there go. any was there anything in the movie that like kind of gave a nod to fans that had read the book that like yeah, we're not putting the squid, but here's one on the wall. Yes. 
Yeah. Very, very clear the, one. The yeah. giant uh, detonation device in um, Antarctica is was the, whatever the name of it was created an acronym squid. Okay. So as the camera pans across mm. this equipment, you could see like a little okay, name well, plate on there. That, yeah. yeah, it was clever. It squid was, yeah. activating or something. Yeah. yeah. And, but it's funny because if you notice that in the movie, you might still think the squid's going <laughs> out. <right>? Yeah. <laughs> Release the squid. Except <laughs> in the book, the squid, it was like it showed all of the blood and guts everywhere that the squid was yeah. like wiping people out. So yeah, the it was tentacles almost like more like ripping through walls. That was yeah. the, by far the bloody. most violent. Yeah. Yeah, so it was Part strange the that book. the the rest of the movie was so much more violent, but the ending. <laughs> but they lifted the squid out. Yeah. You know the the speaking of the squid, the one thing that because everyone went back and forth about, oh, it's too much like the book. Oh, it's not enough like the book in here and there. The one thing that I wonder why he didn't lift out was that stupid freaking tiger. Uh, I like the Bubastus tiger. because it's villainous. Well, but it's the <laughs> the whole point of it was that it was <laughs> part villainous. of it was linking him back to all that like right. genetic DNA research yeah. and the squid. So it made sense that he had like you know he made something and he kept it as a pet and he was responsible for the engineering of the squid. In the movie, there's absolutely no context for the stupid purple Scooby Doo that's following him <laughs> around, and for, quite frankly, it looks bad. Yeah, that's my it's only just, beef yeah, with yeah. the movie. He's trying funny. to keep it fantastical, you know. Yeah. It's a comic book yeah. movie. It's kind of some of those elements. I in think there. Right. that he was just like, "Nah, we can't. We need that tiger in there because it's in the book, and if it's, you well, know, I what I mean." I feel like the fans would have lost it even more if that wasn't in there. That's what yeah. I think he was thinking. Because it, it, he was acknowledging, "I'm not a typical comic book villain." But he still had villainous tendencies. He had to have his animal sidekick that everyone thought was cool. Yeah, right, and he from didn't, the but he didn't novel. give a rip about it because no. he could have easily said he used it in the end. Yeah, in the wall of TV. Yeah, I got a question for you guys who have actually read the book and then seen the movie. So, <clears throat> and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like if you kept the squid in, it's almost like this ending that comes out of left field, like, whoa, where'd that giant squid come from? And all of a sudden, there's <laughs> aliens that are destroying the world. That's kind of weird. Um, but yeah. if you take the squid out, then you're like, whoa, it's building on this theme where Dr. Manhattan gets framed for the peace of the world. So it comes at a cost, and it's at the cost of Dr. Manhattan's reputation he has to go away and he's kind of gives this nod to i'm going back to mars and i may even create life there um so doesn't that entirely change kind of the message of the movie and or at least one major theme of the movie and theme of the book i mean somehow in the graphic novel the only thing that seems to be sacrificed from the movie's perspective is that Dr. Manhattan doesn't need to go to Mars for the sake of preserving the peace. He just wants to go. Yeah, he's to completely Mars. finished because he uh, was skirting around that. He's anyway. done with the world. He, yeah. He's over yeah. it. Mm. And he's he would it. like to start from scratch, less complicated, and create life because he's the obvious like godlike figure yeah. in the story. But in, yeah, and the mo- for the sake of the movie, it makes so much more sense. And the squid thing is just like they think it's aliens. Gosh, I was even thinking, like, how does that even make sense? Because yeah. <laughs> the squid gets teleported into the city and it's immediately, like, impaled on everything. Right. But, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so another another question I had then, going back to what we were just talking about with the meat cleaver scene, is Zack Snyder's tendency to be visually graphic. Um, right. Whether it's with just about anything that's over the top. So and it you know he sets the precedent for his Dawn of the Dead remake, which was pretty extreme, um, and then three hundred you know pretty like violent, 
pretty pretty over the top violent. He has to have the slow motion sex scene and all that stuff. And then uh, Watchmen. Well, we we actually just watched the director's cut, so that was unrated in the sense that a lot of that wasn't in the theatrical version, especially the meat cleaver stuff. A lot yeah. of that happened off screen. So many more really violent the punches weren't in there. Hmm. Yeah. Um, punches. You know, so if, instead of yeah. just a punch like Indiana Jones, it's like it has to be a a punch, and then you see them Ripples spitting out bloody broken teeth motion, and stuff yeah. like that. So do, I, I admire Zack Snyder for his commitment to forcing you to see those things, and so you're. It's almost like his his movies have more gravity because you have to you have to be exposed to that kind of intensity. I, I mean, I, I think so too, but I think that there's like a fine line because if you've seen if you watch other Zack Snyder movies, um, which and I li- I li- I think I don't think there's a Zack Snyder movie so far that I haven't enjoyed. I've enjoyed them all. I, Sucker Punch being Owls, lower. Of, Owls of Owls Ghoul is a great, great one. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is the same guy, Bethany, if you want to watch Legend of the Guardians, Owls of Ghoul. It's a lot more She's up your alley. Don't, don't say her name. She's not here. Um, if you're listening to this at home, Bethany. <laughs> uh, but the, the thing about like, you know, so if the line is Sucker Punch or uh, even 300, a lot of that stuff is, I think he looks at it like for the sake of visuals and slow-mo, it's like almost like ballet or something. He's got to mm-hmm. have all this grandiose stuff in there. When he kind of lapses that into the violence at some point, it seems like it could be he's trying to make it like, oh, look how awesome this <laughs> awful uh you know whatever it might be the oil to the face or the you know knife yeah, to yeah. the neck or the the broken bone that that breaks out into your yeah. face as you're looking yeah. at yeah he doesn't pull his punches with those sort of things no if anything he turns the volume up yeah <laughs> <laughs> but the the example that's obviously not that and more what tyler's talking about is the scene that's not in the theatrical version but the director's cut where the not not tops um, murder Hollis Mason um, and Hollis Mason is kind of like reliving his glory days as he's one last hurrah going out for these violent criminals so it becomes this big emotional score is mm-hmm. playing and you're like oh my gosh it's kind of touching even though it's so awful it's tragic. and then as they're raising his own trophy over his head to <laughs> crack his skull with it the music all goes out it drops out and you just hear this horrible crack and that's I think like the perfect example of a director being like no, it's awful, yeah. and you right. and now you're in it mm-hmm. like, rather yeah. than no trying to spare you from it. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, by romanticizing yeah. it. So you can tell when other directors or other movies try to do a similar thing like that when it doesn't work as well, because they're you know, he in this movie all of those things seem to be directly involved with the story and be telling us something with it. You know. Yeah, I do. I thought maybe <laughs> that you had more. Yeah. That was really that was abrupt. It. <laughs> that was great, man. That was great. <laughs> Just like the director. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's it. It's horrible. Zack Snyder, if you're listening, we're, we're big fans. So, Abby, um, you're, you, you know, you've seen this several times off and on, at least in bits and pieces and probably once or twice all the way through. What is it that you found disagreeable other than the fact that you think it's long and slow? Can, can you tell me anything more about the fact that it was long and slow? Did you find it hard to, to piece together or was it not that you just didn't like it? Yeah, I found it hard to piece together mostly well you were in and out of the room well, well you were on the phone i've seen it two or three times okay. just sitting there forcefully <laughs> um it's really long there's lots of 
different elements and yeah to me it was just hard to follow and i'm still confused like um was the comedian the dad of the girl yeah yes. yeah then why was he like being weird with when, her later when he met her yeah because he knew know. that it was his daughter Oh, so that wasn't like romantic? No. No. But it leaves you questioning like what kind yeah. of past yeah. they've had. You may, we think as the viewer, if you don't know yet that she is his daughter, you think he's being creepy. Creepy. Okay. But he knows that's his daughter. And so it's, that's why it's shocking in the end when you okay. realize. Yeah. Sounds like it was other than the fact that you didn't get it pretty effective. Well made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. Just like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's. Um, I just have a hard time painting. I'm not a deep person, so to like. <laughs> you keep saying that. To like understand, like philosophically, it's like good and evil, and he's like, I'm just like Doctor Manhattan is so annoying the way he talks, and she's <laughs> just like, get out of your head. <laughs> what about a fair assessment though okay. of Doctor Manhattan? Get okay. out, of, get out of your head. Speaking of which, and critiques of Doctor Manhattan, you know, a lot of film casual film goers didn't appreciate having to look so much at Doctor Manhattan's uh, anatomy, mm. <laughs> which you get quite a bit of. Right, and get a lot below. The My belt. question is, why is sometimes he has undies on? I yeah. think that <laughs> that's, that's explained. That's explained sometimes in the graphic novel. Yeah. Okay, he has no use for clothes. You know, he's above clothes. I think that, it, that when you see him wearing clothes, it's often in situations that it's for the sake of public. Well, TV. it kind of when he first became Dr. Manhattan and went through that transformation, he wore like a long pair of briefs in the graphic novel. Right. And over time, it's it's pretty clear he becomes more and more detached from humanity. And so he began in a, in a long pair of shorts. And uh, you see that in the flashbacks. Uh, and then they became short briefs. Mm-hmm. And eventually he took them off completely because he just had no connection to to the customs of society anymore. Yeah. And we speed that process up in the movie by just giving you that scene in Vietnam with the right. with his uh, mm-hmm. comedian's pregnant lover that comes into the sweaty bar. Yeah, it's gnarly. Yeah, it's really rough. So <laughs> <laughs> um, another uh, question that I had for Sarah was you... I, I now have just uh, kind of gone through a lot of the Marvel movies, the Marvel Studio movies. You watched yes. like Captain America and Avengers mm-hmm. and Ultron. You saw Ultron? No, not yet. No. Oh, you didn't see Ultron, but you've seen Avengers. Yes. Um, which those represent the standard of success for comic book adaptations. Quintessential superhero. They're pretty successful. Yeah. Um, and if you've listened to this podcast, you know that we, we like the, those quite a bit yeah, as well. We do. How did how does it feel to well I know you don't read <laughs> Marvel books but you read that one you saw it adapted and you've just seen these others like they're just are such drastically different worlds does it make you think well no wonder people like Avengers more because it's like popcorn entertainment compared to Watchmen or do you think that that uh, the Watchmen movie does it surprise you that people hated it so much it did surprise me that people hated it so much, um, but also it doesn't surprise me because of the general... Well, which is it? Well, <laughs> it's surprising to me because I liked Watchmen so much, um, and maybe it's just because I've read it and I haven't read any of the Marvel sure. novels or comics, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you think that it's because... W- the Avengers comics, they're, they're, 
there's a very clear distinction between good and evil, but in Watchmen, it's kind of dark and it goes into the depravity of like the human condition. And there's, there's no black and white as we see at the end of the film, especially with Rorschach. It's, it's very gray and Mm -hmm. there's good in darkness and there's darkness in good. And it's just very complex. Do you think that audiences just couldn't keep up with that or they just didn't like it? Yeah. Um, I think that's why I liked Watchmen so much is because it makes you think like, in the end or even when you're reading it like looking at the characters you're like okay like you're i'm seemingly pulling for this character but then he goes and does this awful thing and it's like no he's a really terrible person Mm -hmm. and like so it's all very gray and it does make you think which i think it makes for a good novel very challenging it challenges but, the reader right or really viewer, does. No matter but who you does are. that do the, all those themes translate in movie form in your opinion it's hard because you just read the thing yeah i th- i think so i agree i was just curious i mean like <laughs> the the funny thing about it is uh you you want you know like there's there's so much stuff in there there's like all these different kind of dissections of like fatalism and determinism and and the nature of like freedom and empathy and morality and justifiable evil Mm -hmm. or like the greater good and the you know even subsequent viewings of those you find like oh actually this this one section is a meditation on this and this one section is a meditation on this and then largely you know it it comes down to all this right the nature of what's excusable for the sake of the greater good and all that kind of stuff and i think that uh audience they have a movie going audiences even casual movie going audiences they they have a tolerance for that sort of thing i wonder if Watchmen's just too difficult a translation because it came at a time when we were just starting to do kind of a, have a revival in the superhero mm-hmm. genre. This was 2009 mm-hmm. when it came out. Right. And uh, so this that's around the time of Dark Knight. Yeah. A year after Iron Man, you okay. get Watchmen. And so I think a lot of people were like, well, hold, hold, hold on a second. Like, right. I'm just getting back into this thing. Yeah. I'm not ready to deconstruct it. Because yeah. this is a. a Arguably a superhero movie about regular, ordinary people trying to become super. They don't necessarily have superpowers. There's only one yeah. person that is superpowers. Than, but they use the story of superheroes to get into what really is the, the, the challenge between good and evil and that space mm-hmm. in between. Right. So it's not about superheroes. It's about the human condition that yeah. they right. kept going on about. Right. And when people go see a movie that they think it's a comic book movie about superheroes and then see that there's not really any good guys or bad guys right. it's just a bunch of characters right telling us a story there's no yeah. clear the, like good guy or bad guy right the comedian who's who's fighting f- with the the quote good guys but is a very bad person yeah or rorschach is. who is seen as a very bad guy but he's fighting for good yeah and i think it's just really smart of alan moore and Zack snyder to take like rorschach is the bridge character that everyone's like oh rorschach is the coolest he's the coolest but it's not cool to like a right-wing fundamentalist character that like wants to hunt homosexuals and you know what I mean? But in the, so the one guy that has a standard, which is the admirable thing about Rorschach Mm. is one that errs on the side of what most people would not care for. Right. Especially like the kind of, so why isn't the girl (coughs) and the, you know, yellow and black suit silk's daughter? 
Yeah. 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 Why isn't she good? Why isn't she the good? Person? I think it's not necessarily that she's not good or bad in the like hero villain sense. It's just that she's terribly flawed and damaged mm-hmm. and right. Mm-hmm. Um, when it someone came to big who was watching it with they us. couldn't make the right decision because yeah. there, there wasn't a right decision to to make. Yeah, if there the were story. any two characters that we can consider good through throughout the film is the Night Owl and Silk Spectre. Right. Who in the end they they are conflicted. They don't they don't actually follow through right. with good right they're but not they proactive do. they do yeah. and they don't like they it's see you can't and even she's how the, do you silk specter is only a product of her mom's expectations right. and then she's like running from uh one man to another in the search for what seems like validation mm-hmm. or um and and sexuality and all those things and then you have uh you know dan the night owl mm-hmm. and he's kind of like this simpering wimp that only feels like a real person if he puts a suit on. So even beyond the veneer of like, Oh, he's seems like the most likable one. There's still these deeply flawed characters and the way that they're represented to us in the movie, we see more of the flaws than we do yeah. the good stuff unless they're like beating up a gang yeah. in an alley. And in the end they are the characters who were willing to compromise. Right. Exactly. So yeah. it's <laughs> so. What do they really stand for? Yeah, yeah. And in this sense, complicit in the murder of millions yes. of people. Yeah, and okay with it. Yeah, I think that was like the one thing. You know, there were so many different little themes, but the American dream and and comfort. That theme throughout was kind of one of the saddest themes because at the very end you have these millions of people, and I would imagine even family members, probably friends, people that they saw on the street or at various workplaces who are now gone because of this destruction in New York city. And they're just kind of carrying on like everything's okay for the sake of, can we just put that behind us and just be comfortable with right now? We have the martinis and like talking we'll about those just, final scenes. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's, that was kind of the hard part to swallow is like, Oh my gosh, do we really move on and get over that fast, put the bandaid on and keep on going. But you know, that's just kind of the theme that Silk Spectre's daughter had kind of been playing into the whole time. If something's broken, I'm not going to fix it. I'm just going to move on and try to patch it up. Well, I think that at the end it implies time has passed and with time, you know, there's a sense of healing. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell us something about uh, time. And, (laughs) and if, if we know anything about, about, uh, traumatic events like that in history, people, always respond quickly to yeah. and recover. it's a unifier i mean that's yeah and part and of there was yeah there's a lot of billboards with with people coming together and holding hands you see that propaganda billboard with a, an arm for the cccp in right. the usa right. and part of the way unifying. that uh, the plan would work that there's pieces that they would move on quickly right if they got hung up and on it, the plan wouldn't work so um before we wrap things up there's just one exercise i wanted to do to to end the thing. Um, but, uh, before we kind of pass sentence on the, the critics of, uh, America, or I guess in this case, the world, um, (laughs) uh, I think, you know, I'd like to stand behind my assessment that time, time will tell on the whole Watchmen movie. Sometimes it already is starting to, cause it's already on some of the, the nerds list of, uh, best comic book movies ever made. Most faithful uh, adaptations. Mm-hmm. Slowly, it's coming around. I wonder if he was prepared for the like. If people have more time with it, they'll under, understand it. Because what I like about Zack Snyder is he hasn't. A lot of times, directors will be like, "Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry, I sucked." But he's <laughs> he's consistently been like, "Nope, I'm. It's good. I did the best movie yeah. I could have done, and I'm I'm proud of it." 
Uh, you can see a lot of films that have been influenced by it. Yeah. Since, oh, since yeah. it's released in 2009, you can put your finger on a number of films that have, in a way, ripped it off. Well, yeah, even before the movie was out, people were ripping off Watchmen because the entire premise of the right. original Saw film is lifted directly out From of... that Rorschach scene. Right, which yeah. is why we don't get that scene in Watchmen. Which is frustrating. I was, it's too bad that Zack Snyder changed that scene just because people thought that... Because the movie came out after Saw the movie came out, even though Watchmen, the graphic novel, came out before Saw, people would think that Saw... That Watchmen's ripping off Saw when Saw was really ripping off Watchmen. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. yeah. so we changed it. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I don't agree. I think it's it's that's a, that's a bummer to me. It is. It's yeah. a cool scene, but you you know that's what people would have said. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it was four years. I think Saw was two thousand four. But even then, that premise would have jumped out as yeah. like, oh, they got that from Saw, even though they obviously. So people have been ripping off the graphic novel, but even since the film itself, since we're arguing the film is actually a well-made movie. And a great one. It's, and it's well-made and a great one. Uh, people have been taking from the film. Like, if you look at that, that great scene from Frozen when she runs up the mountain and has... Yeah, no one will ever convince me that that was not directly inspired by, by the, the premise by the from... Yeah. Well, it's just too... It's just too similar. Too similar. Like, yeah, about a yeah, character about with powers. Totally different audiences. A character with powers escaping that. to a secluded place and then building this fortress out yeah. of glass or ice. I think yeah. it was their homage place. to Watchmen. The only the difference was just that... <laughs> the only difference was that Dr. Manhattan didn't get a hit song out of it. Yeah. yeah. He maybe just he, he floated around thinking <laughs> maybe he should have been singing and then the movie would Hovering above the earth. Yeah, cross yeah. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> come on, Birdman. And then uh, yeah, there's other. There's even this still happens. Birdman is another one. And it's a spoiler for Birdman. The opening scene. There's is this exact shot. Yeah, there's this, there's Michael Keaton sitting cross-legged, floating above the ground, and it's just identical to the scene yeah. with Doctor Manhattan yeah. and Watchmen. And you pointed out the scene in Captain America with the yeah hydro. Captain America in two ways. The Captain America, the first one, the first Avenger. There's a scene uh, where there's a hydra pin on someone's jacket, and blood splashes across it. It's like, well, that's that's just a very very clear yeah. ripoff of Watchmen. But then even more. Hydra's weapons, like those guns that shoot lasers, uh, whenever it strikes someone, they explode into this blue, gooey mess, identical to Watchmen. Yeah. Yeah, I think those visual... They had to be... Well, they, no, they had to be. I suspect that conversations are having in effects departments and they'll be like, well, remember the way they did it in Watchmen yeah. with kind of like matter being undone? Mm. We could do something like that. So even if it's not like, let's rip them the heck off, they're looking... To the to this movie for cues on on how to do their own movie and it shows especially with Frozen you guys yeah. need to it was the same thing with um, Amazing Spider-Man two with Jamie Foxx's character uh, Electro mm -hmm. mm. very Doctor Manhattan yeah, he assembles himself he's a glowing naked blue guy yeah that's true I and he kind that. of transports himself in ways it's like, yeah but with why? the power of dubstep and, you know, <laughs> and you realize what do kids like today dubstep. Again, it's too bad Dr. Manhattan that didn't, Watchmen didn't have any dubstep yeah. yeah that was the big yeah, that's actually probably why it got such a low review it just wasn't for the kids <laughs> yeah. so um, the soundtrack was awful Since there were a lot of top knots though <laughs> that's true I know. that's true it's the kids social prophecy <laughs> it was just amazing uh you know with if we've i think we've proven that 
someone who just read the novel can enjoy the film, someone who hasn't read the novel can enjoy the film, and someone who hates movies in general won't like the movie. <laughs> is is that say. right, Abby? You think that's safe to say? Yeah. No. <laughs> it's actually pretty entertaining. Okay. Oh. It's well. just, I said it was slow. Yeah. And it's very methodical. It was entertaining. It was big. It just wasn't, um, you know, like Avengers where it's just like for fun. It's like, meh, meh. We have to think. Yeah, this isn't a fun we movie. We have to think. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Yeah, that's true. Um, so to end with, I just wanted to take a few, a handful of the top negative uh, kind of punchlines from Rotten Tomatoes and l- let us have a chance to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A rebuttal in, mm, in a good. line or two. So Tom Charity from CNN.com, he had this Call to say, Watchmen, the movie, provides ample evidence that more is more, but less might have been closer to more <laughs> in spirit. That is anarchic, witty, and compelling. So what he's is saying... Is that a play on words to the author, the original author's name? Yeah. yeah Alan, he, Alan Moore. Yeah, M-O-O-R-E. So he's saying that this was not witty and compelling. So Tom Charity, that's really rude. I mean, you're getting paid to write these reviews, yeah. and someone else really worked hard in making a movie. <laughs> I'd like to have a word with him. <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> Here's your chance. Here's your chance. <laughs> hey, Tom. <laughs> hey, Tom, you hate hey, movies. Hey, Tom, you suck. Tom, Charity, you hate movies. You hate them. And then here, here's a great one for this purpose of this. Laramie Legel from Film.com. If you haven't read the source material, I think you're going to dislike it even more than I did. Uh, so, yeah, it's sort of bad news around here. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That guy Wait, that is, is a writer? He's a writer? He's <laughs> a master of words. Yeah, I thought it was feel? great news. <laughs> how does it feel when someone picks apart your craft? <laughs> <laughs> You're a real wordsmith. <laughs> Richard Roper from richardroper.com. Mm. Great book. Mediocre adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, that voice. The voice makes Richard, Richard yeah. Roper. Richie. You hate movies. You, you hate them. <clears throat> So listen to this one. The New York Times, Zack Snyder's film version of Watchmen is a grim and grisly excursion into comic book mythology. That's just a statement of fact. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. It is grim. It's true. It is grisly. It's a movie. It's an observation. <laughs> it is a movie. So, and then finally, from The New Republic, Christopher Orr says, There are problems both with the tale, which was an awful lot more subversive 20 years ago than it is today, and the telling, which in contrast to Moore's radical experimentation is disappointingly staid and straightforward. That is the dumbest review <laughs> I have ever heard. He, he thinks that that movie was staid and straightforward and that it was not radically experimental. I mean, the editor of that movie should be given a medal. Yeah, for <laughs> putting all that together. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Can you think about the, those together? Yeah. If you were to leave like one little piece off of the table, the whole thing's going to fall apart right. because so much of it that you're going, wait a minute. I mean, someone in the room with us, I won't say who was going, is this, this is going to make sense yet? Who's that person? Who's that person? And you're like, wait. And then you're very as sparingly. They're, as they're asking the question, the film is answering. Yeah. 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 In some cases, literally that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so critics, we think you guys hate movies. Yeah. They, yeah. they really must. Christopher Orr, you hate movies. You really you know, hate them. Here's what I think about movie critics, though. You ready for this? Yeah, let's hear it. They just have to sell magazines and newspapers and get to get clicks, right? Yeah, they're so clickbait. They're, they're just they're they're just writing stuff. They don't, don't let them off the hook, though, man. They probably actually like the movie. You think so? Then well, why not be a little more positive? 
scratch the filmmaker's back, he can scratch theirs. Yeah, I mean, they got... They, hey, that doesn't get clicks, Mixed man. motives. That doesn't get clicks. You know? That's true. You know, it's just like Ozymandias said, that biased journalism sells more magazines. Mm. Mm. Right, right. I liked the... My favorite part is the thing he says about the American dream. It came true. Yep. <laughs> comedian. Comedian was, said that. It was profound. The comedian was, it very, was profound. very profound. In the end the comedian the comedian was was right. He, he knew that there was no right and wrong, that there was a, a giant space in between that the world lived in. Hmm. Yeah. You Good. saw society's true face, chose to become a parody of it. Must have been a hard life for the comedian. And the final observation that we can make out of that is that the comedian was also Danny Duquette on Grey's Anatomy. Yes. Oh my gosh. Did you just realize? Yes. Oh boy. <laughs> so after spending two seasons in a hospital bed with cancer, he must have felt quite nice to run around and fire a shotgun. <laughs> That's why he was so mad. Living up in that house, man. Big windows. Thanks for listening to You Hate Movies. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes or the RSS feed at youhatemovies.com. Feel free to pick a fight with us on our Twitter account at youhatemovies. <laughs>